So, first, just a very warm welcome to you all. And for those of you who haven't met us, this is Chris and Jenny, and I'm Christina. We don't usually begin retreats in the manner we began tonight. You probably gathered we had something of a plumbing emergency. Uh, fortunately, it's only our rooms that now have no heat and are leaking. So I'm very happy that <laughs> it is not yours. Hopefully it will be attended to tomorrow. So welcome to Gaia House. Welcome to this retreat. Um, there is something I, I think we feel quite um, honored to be able to offer these retreats to communities of people who are really engaged in mindfulness, in teaching mindfulness, in learning mindfulness. So what we'll be endeavoring to do here over these days is as much as possible be making the, the connections between what we do here on a cushion and many of the ways that, of course, mindfulness is applied in, in very different settings than this. I know for many of you this will be your first retreat of this kind here at Gaia House, and it can all look a little different than what you're accustomed to. So I hope you will feel um, at ease here, um, relaxed here, and have everything that you need. What I want to acknowledge just in beginning the retreat this evening is the degree of reorientation um, that I think we all go through in beginning a retreat. All of you are most likely, all, most or all of you actually have come out of busy and demanding lives and situations and work. And it's something of a kind of an abrupt stop to arrive here, this kind of halt. And you will, of course, find that, you know, parts of your lives, aspects of your lives, follow you onto your cushion and into your walking path, and why would they not? We're not really endeavoring to create a kind of rarefied environment here that feels disconnected from the world. At the end of these few days, of course, we will all be stepping back into the lives we've just come out of. So I think there's a real question involved in starting a retreat about how to kind of make the, adjust, the inner adjustments. You've already made the outer adjustments. You've arrived. But how to make the inner adjustments, the inner reorientations, I might say, that allow us all to be here most fully and most wholeheartedly. And my sense is this, this is true for everybody. You know, you can see when you step into Gaia House that you really step into quite an intentional en environment. This is an intentional center. You know, we truly have the intention to nurture as much wakefulness, as much supportiveness as we possibly can as an organization. But I think that kind of external environment, of course, is only one aspect of doing a retreat. If we don't have that inner intentionality, well, you know, we could just be here and sleep for a few days, um, you know, or space out for a few days. So there is that, I think in starting a retreat, there, there is that way of kind of setting the intention for being here. And I think this is, this is very different for everybody in some ways. Because I think to, to be here most fully, you know, one question we might ask ourselves is, what is it that I'm being asked to put down or to let go of in order to be here most fully? For some people it might be habits of busyness. 
you know, habits of planning, habits of organizing, um, habits of strategies. We might also ask ourselves, what is it that I would be asked to cultivate in order to be here most fully and most wholeheartedly? Might be curiosity, might be wakefulness, might be kindness, might be care. But I think that kind of questioning at the beginning of a retreat is, is really important because we all know that intention is something nobody really provides for us. That intentionality is something each one of us much more cultivates uh, inwardly. I would also mention that in my experience, intention is not just something we set once. It might be a hundred times in a single sitting. It might be a hundred times in a single walking. It might be five hundred times in a, in a single day remembering to be here, remembering where we are, what it is to feel our feet on the ground, what it is to feel ourselves taking our seat. So that's part of of beginning to cultivate this sense of arriving. Um, I want to give a little bit of a context for this practice. And I think to do that, it's kind of, it is helpful to really have almost a historical sense of where this practice and the kind of climate or culture from which this practice arose. And some, you know, 2,600 years ago, as many of you will know, um, a young man in India looking for some sense of direction, meaning in his life, began a kind of search, began a a path of seeking. And he, he began that path very much in a kind of culture and a spiritual ethos of the time which was primarily concerned with transcendence. And as we can imagine, India 2,600 years ago, probably a pretty difficult place to live. So the spiritual climate that had arisen was primarily one of overcoming, where life, relationships, the body, mind, pretty much all of it was regarded as a kind of obstacle, a problem, something that got in the way of liberation, something that was a kind of a tied one down. And and many of the spiritual practices at the time that developed were all about um, how to get out. How to get out. How to get out of life. How to get out of the body. How to get out of the mind. There were all kinds of practices that evolved of, you know, kind of mortifying the body and controlling the mind. But all in this kind of direction of overcoming. And, you know, this young man, Siddhartha, he followed many of those pathways for quite some time um, and discovered that they didn't actually work for him. And although we can look at this as quite a historical story, I'm sure we can probably track the repetition of this theme in our own culture and in our own time and probably very often in our own minds. I mean, when something is difficult, it's almost the first reaction, isn't it? How do I get out? How do I get away from this? I'm sure you see it in many of the people that you work with, that that desire to push away, that desire to, to overcome the difficult. It's very understandable. It's very human. Of course, the problem more is that it often is seen to be quite ineffective. The way that the Buddha, of course, was so radical in his time was that instead of following those pathways of turning away from, of rejecting, dismissing, denying, he actually suggested that it might be far more effective for us to turn towards what we have been prone to abandon 
are prone to flee from. And certainly in the, this teaching, what, it, what the Buddha suggested um, was to place the whole path of understanding, the whole path of inner development, the whole path of kindness, compassion, insight, very, very firmly in the classroom of our lives. The way that many of you have been uh, exposed to that teaching is through, of course, the mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feeling, mindfulness of the mind, mindful moment to moment of what contributes to and perpetuates struggle and anguish and what leads to its end, the four foundations of mindfulness. And this is, of course, how we will actually, the, the context we will use for this retreat will be a, a kind of a developmental exploration of these foundations of mindfulness as a, as a ground in which we practice, a ground in which understanding is developed and nurtured. My sense is that there is a certain timelessness to the human heart, to the human mind. When you read the historical stories, at, you know, of the time of the Buddha, and listen to many of the questions that people came to him with, questions about what to do with the, the realities of aging and sickness and death, what to do with the challenges of loss and disappointment, how to nurture joy and peace and compassion. I think they're not very different questions than people ask today, the questions that truly concern human beings today. And the, the very much the, the answers as, as taught in this tradition don't lie in theories or techniques or abstract philosophies. That the answers to those questions are really answers to be lived. How to, to meet uh, this really universal story with kindness and balance and compassion how to embrace and inhabit the life we live very fully. And that is why we have a path. That is why we have a path. Now there's two, there's two aspects to what we will do here, the, this pathway we'll explore over these days. And I kind of think of them as being somewhat the art and the craft of meditative practice. And there is a craft part, just as there is a craft part in mindfulness-based applications, learning skills, learning practices, learning ways of applying those practices. But the craft part, uh, I think, cannot be separated from the art part. Um, and I think the art of this practice really lies in the kind of attitudes we develop and cultivate. The attitudes of, of befriending, the attitudes of, of spaciousness, the attitudes of compassion and care. These are the arts actually that I think breathe life really into the, into the craft part. And I would say they are actually probably the primary area of emphasis here on retreat. So we will, over these days, get to, hopefully, get to meet with, with you. Um, we will be meeting together in groups. There will be times for questions, um, for some engagement. And I just really wish you some very fruitful, rich days here.
So I'd just like to echo uh, Christina's warm welcome to Guy House and uh, to our days together here. And I just want to say a few more things about the, the context of our practice within the tradition that goes back to the, the Buddha and the tradition in which Gaia House's teachings are rooted. But with a, a very strong um, a foundation to that is that, you know, p- part of the beauty, I think, of, of mindfulness practice, <coughs> meditation in this tradition is because it is so much just about our lives and, and you know, investigating the way things are, we don't in any way need to or even perhaps benefit from identifying as a Buddhist or any ist uh, in order to practice in this way. And that's why it's got the capacity to be taught <coughs> in so many um, situations to people of all faiths or lands. So when I refer to the Buddha, I really often think of him as a prototype psychologist rather than a great spiritual leader, although I'm, of course he was that too. And one of the ways that meditation (coughs) practice, in its broadest sense, and mindfulness practice is framed in this tradition is in the context of a a threefold way, not a linear way really, but three interwoven aspects of, of what we're cultivating. And the foundation of this is our ethical practice. The 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 way that we live our lives, our values, our behavior, our speech, has such an effect on others and on ourselves, our state of mind, our our state of our heart. So the practice of cultivating a sensitivity to that, to our actions, their effects, is very much as much a part of mind training as Um, as meditation, as formal meditation. And so with that in mind, the precepts of the tradition, the traditional five precepts for lay people, are framed not in terms of commandments, but as training principles. They're just ways that we um, clarify, almost sharpen our awareness of our own actions. So we request uh, that these precepts are observed at Gaia House. But we request them very much with that um, quality, that that these aren't the rules of Gaia House, therefore we have to do them. But that these are five supports, five ways of training our, our minds and hearts that support our practice here. Many of you will be very familiar with these. Uh, so on retreat... Well, off retreat, but on retreat we we perhaps interpret them slightly differently. So the first precept is not to harm, not to harm any living being. Um, And obviously that the kind of harm that we might do here would be very subtle. And it might be more about cultivating kindness, cultivating a sense of considerateness to your roommate or the people around you. But just having that in mind, all the ways that we might inadvertently, accidentally do harm to our environment, to others. The second uh, precept is not, literally it's framed as not taking that which is not given. So anything that isn't clearly being offered to you. um, So, you know, that might be as simple as not taking the special diets if we haven't signed up for them. Just being aware of what is being offered to us. There's a great deal offered to us here, the you know, generosity of the, the staff, the coordinators, um, just not taking anything that we're not sure is being really clearly offered to us. The third precept is uh, usually traditionally framed as avoiding sexual misconduct. Um, and on retreat, we really invite just a letting go of looking for sexual activity, stimulation, flirtation, just that whole energy of, of that aspect of life, not because of any um, you know, moralistic view of that, but just to really uh, cultivate a quality of presence and stillness on retreat. And we can just let go of that sense of you know, who we might be attractive to or 
and that kind of thing while we're here. So there's a kind of cultivation of contentment really around that. Um, the fourth precept is framed in terms of avoiding harmful speech, false or otherwise harmful speech. And on retreat, uh, we frame this in terms of maintaining noble silence at Guy House. And Chris will say a little more about this in, in a minute. And the fifth precept is uh, to avoid clouding the mind with um, intoxicating, I think literally it says liquor, but anything that clouds and intoxicates the mind. So um, what we request at Guy House is not to take any recreational drugs or alcohol except obviously take prescribed medication that you need. Um, and if it feels too much for, for, for maybe the few people left who, who, who smoke these days, um, that smoking tobacco should be done outside of the grounds. But you might like to just see if it's possible you know, to, to go to a retreat without, without that. So those are the five precepts. But again, just to say this is very much to look at how it cultivates more clarity, more awareness in our mind to, to cultivate these practice these and then traditionally in this this framework of the threefold way this is seen as really supporting our meditation it brings us already brings us some some clarity some um, sensitivity in our mind so meditation is seen here and, and we'll say a lot more about this in the instructions but as having two aspects really a, a, an aspect of calming the mind bringing the mind into just some degree of, of more focus and stillness. I mean, often the first thing we notice is the complete lack of, of that in the mind. But just by gently, persistently coming back to the object of our practice, a sense of some degree of, of clarity, of stillness in the mind. And this enables us, second um, prong, if you like, of meditation, to see more clearly this is the literal meaning of vipassana, the word that is often translated as insight meditation. So that through this, this clarity and on the foundation of this ethical practice, we come to see more clearly the nature of what is arising in our mind. This is the more investigative quality of, of meditation. Particularly... Uh, I think encapsulated in the four foundations or applications of mindfulness. So it's bringing this quality of interest, inquiry, curiosity to our experience, supported by some level of calmness in the mind. And then on the basis of this, we, we cultivate a, a level of insight, of clear seeing that actually frees us from suffering particularly from the suffering, really, that's caused by not seeing clearly. Um, so it's not um, calm and, and clear seeing for their own sake. It's with that real sense of this is about freeing us from, from distress, from suffering that we cause ourselves when we don't see clearly. Um, and often this is framed as having as seeing clearly three qualities of our experience, which we could say a lot about, but just very very briefly, we start to see, really see and know, you know, not intellectually, but really feel and know the, the constantly changing nature of our experience. It's just in flux, it's in process the whole time. And the impossibility then within that of finding anything that we can fix we can pin down, we can control, we can hold on to, including any aspect of ourselves, our view of ourselves, the kind of person we are. We can't actually pin that down. And then it becomes so clear the distress we cause ourselves when we resist that, when we ignore or struggle against these qualities of our experience, when we want things <coughs> to be lasting, to be in our control, to be fixed, to be permanent. So, um, these, some of these qualities will be become clearer, will be covered in the instructions and, and in, the, in the talks, but just to say that mind, the practice of mindfulness, this quality of mindful awareness, investigation, really 
uh, supports us and underlies all aspects of this path, our, our ethical practice, our meditation practice, and the cultivation of, of liberating insight. Um, so just wanted to kind of frame it in that context. Without a sense of context, you know, meditation can just be a technique, can just be a way of, of, of trying to relax. <coughs> so just to have a sense of the context that it's being presented in, in, in this tradition. And, uh, and don't worry if none of that really sank in, because I'm sure you're all quite tired. We'll, we'll be talking a lot more about this. And I just really want to wish you a very, very good retreat and a very nourishing retreat. And uh, probably a retreat that won't be what you expect, because it's never quite what you expect. Welcome. So I too would, would like to welcome each of you very warmly to this retreat. And as we begin a, a time like this, I find it very helpful just to reflect on the question, why am I here doing this? Why have I chosen to give these days? And just to invite each of you just to connect with that sense of intention that Christina spoke about. And of course there may be some, uh, you know, some, some people here may have a sense, well, I'm, I'm here partly to support my work. You know, and that's a, uh, something rather special about these particular retreats. But also if we let that question, why am I here? What am I choosing to explore <coughs> letting that go deeper and really connecting with the heart's calling because yes there is a, a personal story that brings us here but for millennia human beings have done this they've, they've taken time to step out of the busyness and the demands of day-to-day -day living in order to inquire more deeply into what's true, in order to reflect on how to live wisely, in order to honour the deeper callings of the heart. And as Christina said, there's a way in which this practice of retreat really invites a, a needs, a conscious shift of mode. There's a certain radical simplify that is very supportive of this kind of endeavour and just really invite you to um, give yourselves that gift of being able to live more simply over the next few days I mean this is a beautiful chance and a rare chance to do just one thing at any one time you know, so much of our life involves more or less compulsive multitasking and just really invite you to savour the chance just to do one thing at a time when you're here and to know what you're doing <laughs> now this, this description of mindfulness is, is doing something and knowing that you're doing it like sitting here breathing, listening and knowing that you're doing or doing your job in the work period and really knowing that you're doing that valuing that as an equally precious opportunity to be present to 
practice kindness, to practice <coughs> curiosity and investigation. So simplify our intentions and our actions. Presence. Kindness. Investigation. Such a gift to ourselves as we seek to go deeper in response to that sense of, well, why am I here? And the body is such a help. The body is such a help. And I know at times it'll feel like it's the opposite of a help. Um, But just as our uh, portal into presence, kindness, investigation, a really um, embodied presence is the meditator's craft as Christina was saying. And, and so, you know, right now as you sit here and probably is still in the process of arriving here, you know, just letting yourself open to how the body feels as it sits and breathes. Sensing how it can be uh, such a support to a sense of mindfulness, connection with the moment and experience. And there's something um, very unusual and very precious about the fact that we're doing this in a community together. You know, it's, it's a rare thing to have this experience of, of solitude within community. <coughs> but just as you, you know, you might just want to right now just look around the room and, and just get a sense of uh, your fellow Practitioners, your fellow travellers through this weekend, these these few days, <clears throat> and just sense that that <coughs> we're supporting each other, we're supporting each other in our silence, and that there's a whole field of well wishing that we're both. Uh, benefiting from and contributing to by our practice. And as you know, these these retreats are held in silence and we really ask and invite you to honour that. And, you know, there's a practical level of that, which is, is, um, you know, giving yourself a break from, from talking, from texting or phoning. You know, these are a very um, 21st century uh, distractions that, that, that can be, you know, we can, we can stop like this and notice the strong pull of these little phones that sometimes feel like a, you know, part of our anatomy because we're so connected with them. But really invite you uh, and, and ask you actually to, to turn it off, <laughs> to turn it off and put it in the bottom of the suitcase and Breathe a sigh of relief for not having to complicate life over these days with um, that other whole realm of communication. And of course, if there are you know messages you need to to, to give this evening, or or you know a final phone call that you need to make, just so that you can really put down the stuff of day to day life, please do that tonight. So that you can then, you know, close the day uh, and really, you know, commence the retreat, having put these things to one side, just as a gift to yourself, as a gift to yourself. Similarly with um, with reading, uh, you know, part of what we're one of the most significant supports to what we're doing is this turning down the volume on the verbal aspect of experience. 
and, and connecting with the sense of presence and awareness that is prior to all of that. You may even be able to do that in this moment. And so, as well as the verbal communication, there's what we tend, you know, we, we can, our eyes can be hungry for things to read. And, you know, you may have brought the novel that you were just finishing. Or if you've been here before, you may know the compulsion to read notice boards or tea packets or sort of anything that will present itself to give some stimulation at that level. Really invite you, really invite you again as a sort of creative um, experiment and also gift just to practice putting all of that down. So, so you know, really invite you not to, to engage in reading over these days. Not as some heavy rule, but just as this sense of, well, what is going to support the quieting of my heart? What is going to support the quieting of your heart? And of course, part of that is also about giving each other in this community of support. Giving each other that space and that quietude. And so, really, you know... um, Please ask you not to write notes to people. I know, I know that quite a lot of people have come with friends to this retreat or, uh, and colleagues, and that's, uh, that's <coughs> usual here, actually, and, and really lovely. Um, and I hope that will feel like a sense of support. But just, you know, if there's a temptation to write them a note and just see how they're getting on, please let that thought come and go without needing to act on it. If you're concerned about someone's here, please, someone who's here, please drop us a note, or drop the coordinators a note. But please don't write notes to each other. Um, Which, of course, doesn't mean you can't be wishing your friends and colleagues well as part of your practice. But as an internal, meditative part of your practice. Quite a number of people are here for the first time, and, and... one of the things you'll notice is that part of this sense of solitude is that often people just um, don't necessarily make eye contact with each other on retreat. And that's really up to you, whether you feel uh, in any moment um, you know, that eye contact happens or not. Notice if you're seeking it, you know, and seeing if it's possible just to come back into a more boundary sense of containment and gatheredness without needing to make that contact. But also just if, you know, it's, it's not that people are avoiding your gaze out of uh, not wishing you well, if that makes sense. So just to be peaceful with that sense of sometimes eyes may meet and sometimes not, and that's okay. But as well as these practical details, which which we say at the beginning of each retreat, there's also the, in a sense, the exploration of why the Buddha called this sort of silence ennobling. There's something about this gatheredness, this solitude, this quietude, this choosing of where we place our attention more inwardly that is ennobling, that is supportive of these deepest callings of our heart that that may be part of why you're here. And so really to see the silence as a resource. It's a silence that is imbued with friendliness and kindness, which are really the ethos of this place. You know, we join a long tradition here of goodwill, practiced very intentionally. And so, you know, you can trust that this is a silence 
Um, you know, as you swim through the silence here, you're swimming through an ethos of goodwill and care and support and love. But also just this sense that the silence can hold whatever happens and whatever is happening. in any moment. It's here as a resource. It's here as something to turn to. To drink from. To be deeply nourished by. Something that can really support the quieting of the heart. the exploration, the investigation of what is true. The cultivation of a real sense of goodwill and the the honouring of your heart's deepest calling. And so I really join with uh, Christina and Jamie <coughs> in wishing you uh, a deeply nourishing time yeah. together. Okay, so we're going to um, uh, end our evening with a, a, a sitting period, a shorter sitting period, but... Before we go into that, please, if it's helpful, take a moment to have a stand up and stretch. As much as you can, just finding a posture for yourself in which the body feels as upright and as easeful as you can be. And finding that balance in your posture between the genuine sense of wakefulness and yet also a softness. And just taking some moments just to to feel your body sitting, to know your body sitting. Feeling the places of contact where you touch the ground, the cushion, your chair. Sensing the pressure, the warmth, 
in those areas. Being mindful of your hands, touching your legs or touching one another, sensing the aliveness in those places of contact. of collecting, gathering your attention, establishing that attention within your body, the body sitting, little expanding the field of awareness so, so to sense listen to the quietude the sounds within the quietude cultivating that receptivity sensitivity So we're listening to what the mind, the heart is doing in this moment, the thoughts that are present, sensing how those thoughts arise and pass, as do sounds, as do body sensations. quite intentionally gathering your attention establishing it within an awareness of your body breathing a simplifying a calming 
Just tracing with your attention the movement of a single breath. It's beginning, it's turning point, it's ending. Breathing in with mindfulness, uh, breathing out with mindfulness. Noticing as much as you can the moment your attention is drawn elsewhere to a thought, body sensation, an image. Treating those moments gently, simple noticing, and that intentional returning to the body breathing.
I realize it's highly likely that nobody suggested that you go to bed at nine o'clock since you're about five years old. However, um, <laughs> I would encourage you to get as good a rest tonight as you possibly can. Um, tomorrow night at this time, you will be so happy if somebody says, you might like to get some rest now. Um, with the wake-up bell goes at 6.30 tomorrow. Um, we have a sitting at 7 o'clock. And I do hope that you have a, a good rest. <coughs> <coughs>